rather lags, doesn't it, the global standards on independent boards? Unfortunately, it does, yes. Uh, and, of course, the need is much greater in Japan with the cross-shareholdings, more importantly, the, uh, the listed subsidiaries with very few protections for them. So my feeling is this is a trade that can run and run because, you know, there's only 15%, whereas 99.8% of, uh, of top uh, S&P 500 companies have majority independent boards. Well, Nick, thanks for telling us all about that. That's very interesting indeed. That's Nick Smith, Japan strategist at CLSA in Tokyo. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And in Tokyo right now, the Nikkei 225 is pretty well flat in South Korea. The Cosby is up about a quarter of a percent. Uh, the SX200 in Australia down a third of a percent. Futures markets indicating about a 180-point gain for the Hang Seng at the open. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil at $65.24 a barrel. Gold is at $1,713 an ounce. And that's it for me this morning. Do please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Stay tuned for Back Chat with Hugh Chiverton and Ada Watt. The weather forecast hot with sunny periods. Maximum temperature is going to be around 30 degrees and it is going to be hot with sunny periods this week. Isolated showers on Wednesday and Thursday. The temperature right now is 26 degrees and it's 79% relative humidity. It's 8.31 and a half. Here's Samantha Butler with the Half Hour News. The chairman of the Lankwai Fong Group, Alan Zeman, says he expected bars might be allowed to partially reopen in time for the Easter break and estimates around 35% of them have gone out of business during the pandemic. Yesterday, the government announced that beaches, swimming pools and playgrounds could start reopening from Thursday and venues such as cinemas and theme parks could increase their capacity to 75%. Mr Zeman described the ongoing closure of bars, nightclubs and karaoke's as a nightmare. They've been now closed since November. <laughs> it's now going on almost six months. And, you know, almost well, no business that I know can survive without having any customers uh, and being closed for so long, and especially without any subsidies for them. And so uh, they've been crying desperately to me because they were hoping to be open by Easter. The first day of the trial of the former policeman accused of killing George Floyd has ended in the U.S. city of Minneapolis after both sides set out their opening arguments. Derek Chauvin denies charges of manslaughter and murder. One prosecutor said Mr Chauvin squeezed the very life out of Mr Floyd, but a defence lawyer, Eric Nelson, argued that Mr Floyd's poor health and drug use had contributed to his death. A first responder, Jenna Scurry, told a prosecution lawyer that she'd alerted a supervisor after becoming concerned when she saw Mr. Chauvin remaining on Mr. Floyd's neck for so long. Mr. Derek Chauvin betrayed this badge. You will learn that he was well aware that Mr. Floyd was unarmed, that Mr. Floyd had not threatened anyone, that Mr. Floyd was in handcuffs, he was completely in the control of the police, he was defenseless. You will learn what happened in that nine minutes and 29 seconds. The most important numbers you will hear in this trial are nine to nine. Vessels are once again sailing through the Suez Canal after a huge container ship which blocked the waterway for nearly a week was refloated and moved. The Canal Authority chairman, Osama Rabieh, told the news conference that a backlog of about 400 vessels should be cleared within days. Today, from 8pm until 8am tomorrow, so for 12 hours, 113 ships will move in various convoys. This means that in three days or three and a half days, we might make up for the loss. We won't sleep. The pilots will work day and night. 
We will work around the clock until we get through these ships. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning. Welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chiverton, your co-host today. Ada Wong. Ada, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. COVID issues in the next hour. The government has announced that public beaches, swimming pools and playgrounds will be open before the Easter holiday. Restrictions on people returning from the UK will be lifted and mandatory quarantine arrangements will be relaxed for people from low-risk countries such as Australia, New Zealand and Singapore who will only have to undergo 14 days of mandatory quarantine at a designated hotel followed by a week of self-monitoring. And people from medium-risk countries who have been vaccinated will also only be quarantined for two weeks. And COVID-19 restrictions on in-person classes will be further eased to allow as many as two-thirds of pupils to return to schools after Easter. Well, what do you think of the changes? And how do you think the vaccination programme could be energised. Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat and RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, backchat at rthk.hk. You can call us, and our number is 233-88266. That's 233-88266. Joining us now for this part of the programme, where we have Professor Ben Cowling, Head of the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics from the School of Public Health at the University of Hong Kong, and Dr Gabriel Choi, who's President of the Hong Kong Medical uh, Association, both uh, with us just until uh, 9 o'clock. If you have got a comment uh, or a question for them, probably the best thing to do is to uh, pick up the phone and call us and we'll put you online, 233-88266. Paisley, in an email, says, For the past several weeks and months, numerous listeners of Backchat, including myself, has expressed frustration at some of the government's overly restrictive social distancing rules. And yet when the government uh, finally decides to relax some of these measures, we inevitably get naysayers like, Dr Lung Chi Chu, coming out to criticise the government, warning that the government's hasty move could trigger another wave of cases. I disagree with Dr Lam. Sure, there is a risk that any relaxation would result in a jump in cases, but the risk seems well measured. Hong Kong needs to move on to kickstart the economy, opening beaches and pools and lifting permissible capacity at theme parks while keeping bars closed seems like a prudent and much welcomed move. That is from uh, Paisley. Professor Cowling, do you, uh, what do you think of this uh, relaxation or readjustment, as I think they're careful to call it, uh, of uh, uh, rules on things like beaches and swimming pools? I think it's really a, a great idea for Hong Kong if we can get down to zero and then have a go at staying at zero. We haven't quite got to zero. There's still a few cases around. I think yesterday there was a case. Um, so I'm a little bit worried that we haven't quite got to zero. And if we relax everything, there's an increased risk of a, an outbreak like the gym outbreak or, or maybe a, an outbreak somewhere else, um, which sets us back. And then we might need to bring measures back. But on the other hand, if we have a bit of luck in the next couple of weeks, then maybe we will get to zero Anyway, uh, so it's, it's really a difficult call for the government to make because the numbers are now so low. Uh, it's almost zero, I would say, almost zero. Um, why is there um, such a big importance on getting down to zero? Uh, because, I mean, we can't just live in a bubble. Uh, you know, um, the Secretary of Commerce and Economic Development is talking to a number of countries allowing travelling bubbles. So when you have foreigners and tourists coming in, uh, for sure, you know, there might be some imported cases. And, um, you know, getting down to zero, what, what's the significance? I, I would imagine that, so if, if we get to zero, then the risk, as you mentioned, would be from infections coming into the city from outside. 
I guess, I don't know for sure, but I guess if we were to establish travel bubbles, it would only be with places that are also at zero. And so there wouldn't be a risk then of importation of infections if we allow people to come in from the bubble without undergoing quarantine. But it is, of course, a risk. Um, I, uh, I think staying at zero is going to be difficult for a long time. But for short periods of time, it should be possible. If you look at what's uh, been achieved in, in the mainland, in Taiwan, in Australia, New Zealand, they've managed to stay at zero for quite long periods of time. So we could go for that. And then, as you said, we'll be living in a bubble. But at least it, within the bubble, we can be relatively back to normal. Uh, an email from uh, Alison. As you reported in the news, the vast majority of our new COVID infections are coming from imported cases, who are thankfully caught at the airport before they can put the Hong Kong public at risk. However, I'm still a little confused as to how this is occurring. How are these individuals even allowed to board their flights? Aren't they tested before boarding, or are they simply required to produce negative COVID test results, which presumably can be falsified, before they depart their before they depart their port of embarkation? Perhaps one of your guests knows the answer to these questions. Professor Cowling, do you know? Well, so when people are infected, they, they don't test positive immediately. After infection, it takes a little bit of time until the virus can become detectable. So it's quite possible that if someone's required to do a COVID test two days or three days before departure, they could be negative. But by the time they board the plane, if they were tested at that point, they might be positive. They might still be negative. By the time they land in Hong Kong, they might at that point have turned positive. Um, because it, from, the, from when you're infected you're not immediately positive on a, on a virus test. It takes some time for the virus to re replicate and, and get up to a higher level in your body so that then you can, you can be tested positive. Okay. But, but for sure, you know, um, th this is only a very, very low percentage of people who would have that. I mean, I mean to be tested negative and then three days later to be found positive. Uh, so the majority of people that we, we test uh, the, air, so the majority of people that come into Hong Kong from outside, if they are going to test positive, they'll test positive on arrival. And then a minority test positive a little bit later. It's about 70 or 80 percent within the first few days of, of arrival, if not on arrival, maybe another 10 or 20 percent uh, later in quarantine. And then only a tiny fraction in the third week of, of quarantine. But it is possible that people can arrive test negative and still be infected. That's why we have the quarantine. Uh, okay, uh, an email from uh, Ronald, uh, who says, I'd appreciate if you could read out my appeal to the government on your show. Resume BioNTech uh, vaccinations immediately and don't use the we want to be prudent and we need to wait for BioNTech's report as an excuse for a problem which has been totally blown out of proportion by you. 150,000 people eagerly await their second shot of BioNTech. Thousands of people want to have their first BioNTech vaccination as soon as possible. It's a disgrace for Hong Kong. The whole world needs to get vaccinated and we suspend an already sluggish vaccination campaign because of a packing problem. And that, as I say, is from Ronald. Dr Choi, good morning to you. Hello, Dr Choi. Gabriel Choi. Oh, sorry, yeah, he's not with us quite yet. All right, let's, let's throw that to uh, Benjamin Cowling. Sorry. Uh, Professor Cowling, uh, you, can we get the uh, the vaccination programme back on course? It's taken quite a knock, isn't it? Yeah, it sounds like, it sounds like we, we could restart. Uh, there was a concern over whether there were uh, there was a problem with the, the vaccine because there were defects being reported. I would still like to, to have an answer to the, my, my question about the frequency of defects in other parts of the world. What we've heard in Hong Kong is about two in every thousand vials had a problem, either a crack or a leak. Um, and I know in other parts of the world there have been reports of cracks or leaks. 
and those vials are, are just discarded following the, 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 the pharmacist guidelines. But um, I, I don't know whether the rate here of two in a thousand is more than other places, how much more. And I, I, I imagine BioNTech had a look at it and, and then they didn't find any problem on their side. So that, that should mean we're, we're good to go again. Uh, what, what about the issue of the um, uh, changing the arrangements for uh, for quarantine, um, uh, making it two weeks for some countries, uh, reducing the uh, requirement for people from high risk countries like the UK to spend you know time outside the UK uh, and so on? Do you think those are yeah? Are there's, there's quite a few changes just been reported. I think for the for the UK one, the reason for the UK. Uh, ban to be put in place people who've been in the UK to, to not be allowed to travel to Hong Kong uh, directly. I, I think that was because of the UK variant, but that's actually commonly detected now across Europe. So then you either have to ban everyone from Europe or, or, or go back and allow people to travel here from the UK. But just be very, very careful because we do not want that variant to get into into Hong Kong. But when the, the government announced that people from the UK will stay in a special hotel, presumably that's still because of the, the variant. But as I just said, that the variant is prevalent across all of Europe. So I don't understand why, why the UK has this special treatment. But, but anyway, um, and then in terms of going down to 14 plus seven, so it's still 21 days quarantine. It's just 14 in the hotel and seven at home. So it's a little bit cheaper, but it's still 21 days. My, my feeling is still that for people coming here from Australia, New Zealand, even the mainland, the risk is so much lower than it is for people coming here from, from other parts of the world where there's a lot of COVID cases that um, it's, it's, uh, I'm not sure that such a long quarantine is, is really essential. Um, but I, I know we want to do everything to, to be able to stay at zero for, for as long as we possibly can. So I understand the rationale for a longer quarantine period. I just feel like it's, uh, it, it does still seem like a little bit Okay. Well, now, well, for um, you know, for the mainland, um, you know, uh, Hong Kong people returning to Hong Kong, uh, if they are coming in by plane, and then you know, that doesn't need to be quarantined. Why? Why do you think is that difference? No, I, I think, as, as I just said, for, for places where there's no no reported COVID cases, when there's a lot of surveillance being done, the risk to Hong Kong is minimal. So it makes sense to me that people can can come here without quarantine from the mainland. What I don't understand is why we, we still have quarantine for people from other places in the world where there are zero cases. And I would expect once we have a travel bubble set up, maybe there'll be some reciprocity. So we could go to Taiwan, we could go to Australia, we could go to New Zealand without quarantine if in Hong Kong we're at zero and vice versa. But I, it seems like, like people are waiting for that reciprocity, whereas for Hong Kong, actually, we'd be safe to allow those people in without quarantine for, for Hong Kong because the, the other places are zero. Okay, uh, number 233-88266. We've got a caller, Guy, on the line. Guy, good morning. Good morning to you. I've got a question for Professor Cowling, if I may. Yep. I'd like to ask him about um, what he knows about pre-vaccination screening in Hong Kong. My daughter is in Singapore. She signed up for BioNTech. They sent her, the government sent her a screening form digitally she answered it honestly, and they told her that she couldn't have the vaccine. I've got that form. I also went online and checked that they, the U.S. has a similar form. And I'd like to know if Hong Kong patients are being pre-vaccine screened when they attend the vaccination centers. Um, I put that question to BioNTech in Hong Kong, 
and they referred me to Sino Farm without giving me an answer. To Fosun, probably, yeah. Fosun Farm, sorry, yes. Yeah. Um, is there a form? Is there any screening? So in, in the vaccination centres I've been through the process, I got, I got BioNTech a few weeks ago, two weeks ago. Uh, you, you go in and you get an information sheet, which is quite detailed, and it has a list of things at the end for maybe a list of conditions that should make people cautious about getting vaccinated and, and can ask the staff at the centre if they meet any of those uh, maybe criteria to, to be more cautious about. One of them could be being pregnant, because in Hong Kong, pregnant women are not re recommended to receive BioNTech at present. Well, the, in the, the screening form, uh, which I've sent to um, uh, Backchat, is very detailed. And if you yeah, answer so it honestly, Kong, it's, it's not that detailed. Uh, there and at the end, there's things. a box to tick to say that you've read the information sheet, you understand that you don't, uh, we, that you're eligible to receive vaccination, and then you go to the the vaccination booth and you, and you get your jab. There's, there's, with, with uh, respect, no that's not quite There's a long thing that you have to read, but I don't know how carefully people read it before booking their yeah. appointment. With, with respect, uh, Professor, that's not really the, the same thing. I, I, no, I, I understand that. I, I think I, I answered your question that, that essentially it doesn't sound like we have the same detailed screening as they have in Singapore. I'm not sure why your daughter would not have been eligible for vaccination in Singapore. Well, it may be uh, that in the mass one vaccination of the, centres one of, they're a little bit more cautious, one of the but she could still get in a, in, a, in a doctor's clinic. One of the specific questions was, have you ever had a severe um, allergic reaction to a medication? And her answer was yes. Yep. So they screened her out. Okay. Uh, yeah. another, That's the same in Hong Kong. So if a patient reports to the to this clinic staff in a vaccination clinic that they've had a severe reaction to to a vaccine or a medicine, or in general have a severe allergy, they will not uh, be recommended to get the vaccination at the vaccination centres in Hong Kong. They could still go to see a private doctor. Uh, and get the sign about because sign of available here. In okay, we do we do have a doctor. I don't know if they could get by on I, okay, I, hang on, I, hang on, hang on. We do now have a doctor with us. Uh, Gabriel Choi is here, president of the Medical Association. Doctor Choi, good morning to you. Morning. Hi. Um, so uh, the caller guy is asking why um, uh, in Singapore they have this uh, very detailed screening uh, form uh, that you have to uh, complete and pass basically before you can get the uh, vaccination, uh, and there doesn't seem to be anything comparable uh, in, in Hong Kong. Um, what's going on there? Do you think? I think each country has its own uh, system. Man. Its own, uh, it makes its own decision on how to get vaccinated. So uh, uh, if you get the vaccine from the doctor's office, the doctor's role is to ask about the risks and the side effects and the control of uh, chronic illnesses and so on. So that's one of the, uh, the, the role of the uh, general practitioner who produce, who, who give the Sinovac jab. But uh, for the... <coughs> Jab in the vaccination center and uh, the biotech jab uh, in the vaccination center uh, is up to the patients themselves or the citizens themselves uh, to look at the uh, risks and the side effects. And to uh, there's no doctor to uh, take a full history. So uh, there's a, probably a, a slightly greater risk if you don't look at the uh, risk pamphlet itself carefully.
So, um, so is it a you know is it a resource thing uh, that in in Singapore they can do an online questionnaire uh, before they get to the vaccination center? And in Hong Kong, we rely on the person being very self-aware, or you know they go to their doctor and the doctor asks them in detail. I don't know about the Singapore system, so I can't answer you that. But uh, in Hong Kong, uh, many although I do not prescribe the the, the vaccination myself, uh, a lot of my patients ask me about whether they should or they can be vaccinated uh, because of their illnesses, and uh, I give them advice based on their past health and the current uh, uh, data to suggest whether they should be vaccinated. Hello? Yeah. Guy, go ahead. Yeah, the, the screening form that I've seen, both from uh, the USA and uh, Singapore, presumably that is based on information from the manufacturer of the vaccine itself. It's not pulled out of the air. Um, I would also be ruled out, according to that questionnaire, because of anaphylactic shock due to hornet stings, twice uh, sent to hospital, and um, given an epipen. Um, and that would rule me out, apparently. Now, I've, I was advised by somebody else in Hong Kong that uh, in those circumstances, I could receive uh, my vaccination in a government hospital where I would be closely monitored in case I suffered collapse or whatever. I don't know if that's true. Anyone know? I, I'm not sure whether you can receive the jab in if you had a previous history of anaphylaxis because that is a high risk of uh, once you get anaphylaxis means shock and possible death. So even in a hospital setting, it, it is a risky procedure. Did the, um, all I remember from the, uh, the form and the information sheet that was offered generally in Hong Kong is that, you know, if you're uh, allergic, you, you should consider whether you get the jab. It's not specific enough, really. Uh, I um, I really don't think so. Thank you very much. All right, guys. Th many thanks for your for your call. A uh, couple more uh, questions. Let's see. Um, uh, Anna says, uh, please ask Professor Cowling if Hong Kong is due to get other vaccine brands, and if so, when, or is it just Sinovac and BioNTech for us? No, I think the government's talked about getting mm. the AstraZeneca vaccine uh, in the summer. Uh, they've ordered 7.5 million doses, and they've also been talking about getting a fourth uh, type of vaccine, another 7.5 million doses, but I haven't heard if any, any decision's actually been made yet, and it may be better to wait a little bit longer and think about what booster doses we might, we might want to get for, for 2022. Uh, what 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 would be um, you know your thinking to um, to energize the the whole vaccination program at the moment it's, it's pretty sluggish and we're still waiting for the BioNTech vaccine um, you know if you rolled out again. I think that yeah, getting the BioNTech started again is going to help. I think there's going to be a, a lot of people eager to sign up for BioNTech when it does reopen because people appointments have been cancelled, things have been pushed back, and maybe people have realised that they do need to to, to get their vaccination. Uh, in order that the Hong Kong can get back to normal. At the same time, if these travel bubbles work out and, and a vaccination is a, is a requirement to travel, I'm um, sorry for the previous caller who is the, a kind of person that may not be able to travel if vaccination is required. And that sounds like, like, like really unfortunate. And I, that's one of the reasons I'm actually not very deep on vaccine passports, because I think it's a little bit unfair. Not everybody can get vaccinated. But if vaccination is a requirement to travel in a travel bubble, then that may be an incentive to some people. 
Uh, in the longer term, I don't think vaccination would be a requirement to travel, though, in, in a year's time. Okay. Uh, Dr. Choi, do you think there's time now to uh, restart the and reinvigorate, really, the, um, the vaccination programme? And if so, how would you do it? Do we need incentives? Do we need um, further advantages given to people with, uh, with vaccinations? I think um, the, we're waiting for the biotech uh, vaccine uh, investigation results. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of uh, the university professors had the biotech first dose. So uh, if they come forth uh, when the second dose is um, ready and, and available, then uh, it will be a booster. Uh, the, the current situation is the <coughs> death rate, um, uh, which... Uh, produce uh, doubts and concerns by, uh, of the citizens. And uh, it, it, it remains for the experts uh, to come forth to explain very clearly that uh, the, the deaths are unrelated uh, to the vaccination. So if that can be very clearly uh, explained, uh, that might help. And uh, the various incentives uh, the government is proposing uh, may also help to boost uh, vaccination, such as, such as uh, travel back to China and um, go, uh, going back to schools and uh, opening uh, uh, opening shops uh, uh, for longer hours and for more more people to uh, on on one spot. So uh, there are various various incentive governments trying to pull. Whether it works or not, uh, it's difficult to say. Okay, uh, um, here's another email from uh, Alison following up. Uh, on the question to put to uh, Professor Cowling earlier about, you know, arrivals in Hong Kong uh, uh, being tested. Uh, Alison says, Professor Cowling replied to my earlier query by saying that there's a time lag between test and flight, and some travellers are found to be positive on arrival at Chek Lap Kok. So why doesn't Hong Kong require non-vaccinated people to be tested at the airport before they board the flights? This would reduce risk of spread on the plane and would also encourage people to get vaccinated. That is from uh, Alison. Uh, yeah, I think there's a logistical reason that that doesn't happen. So firstly, at the departure airport, you'd have to be sure that there is a laboratory there that could do the testing in a short space of time. Sometimes these tests can take hours if there's a, if there's a backlog as well. It could take six or 12 hours, and nobody wants to get to the airport six hours before their flight. At the same time, you don't want to get to the airport six hours before your flight, get tested, and then it turns out it's positive and everything's in a, in a big mess because you've got to cancel your flight, you've got to go to hospital or whatever. So I understand why the testing is done two or three days before departure. Uh, that's for logistical reasons, and it, it does make sense. At the same time, we test people on arrival in Hong Kong because we want to catch them if they land when they're, when they're shedding the virus, when they're potentially contagious. As for transmission on the plane, that doesn't seem to be a major risk. There's been studies over the past year of travelers traveling with active infection, with, with contagious infection, and there never seems to be outbreaks on planes. The ventilation on a plane is actually excellent. It's really excellent. So it's a relatively low-risk environment for transmission. Obviously, a long plane flight, is, there's still a risk. But um, what we've seen so far is it is not something to be very, very concerned about. And that's also another reason why anybody arriving in Hong Kong goes to quarantine, because you don't know what might have happened to them even just before they departed or on the plane. Why, why do you think that bars are still closed, uh, Professor Cowling, where, whereas beaches and, you know, swimming pools are open? Why, why are bars Beaches are very, very safe. So beaches could have been open a while ago. I think we've talked about that quite a number of times yeah. on back yes. chat, that beaches yes. are a really safe place to be, even when there's COVID around. But uh, bars are a particular risk because we've seen outbreaks 
time and again in bars, not only in Hong Kong, but in other parts of the world. And so from a public health point of view, it does make sense to, to control the highest risk environments. And that includes bars, it includes gyms, karaoke facilities, other leisure facilities, and, and potentially swimming pools and changing rooms. But uh, now we're getting down to zero. I, I hope that the bars will be able to open soon. And I hope that everywhere will be able to be back open soon. Dr. Choi, do you have any comment on the uh, lifting, latest lifting or relaxation, readjustment of measures? I think uh, government is trying to please all people by uh, some kind of relaxation, especially with the low um, uh, infection rate. So uh, we expect uh, some relaxation, but we want to make sure that the relaxation is not too fast. Otherwise, uh, if we have another major outbreak again, then it's going to be difficult. Uh, okay, uh, just a couple more comments. Um from listeners, Mr Pink says, uh, Good morning. The government says that it will relax quarantine to two weeks for vaccinated individuals returning from medium-risk countries. Do we have a list of those countries? Uh, yep. You, if you go to um, all this sort of information on uh, coronavirus, uh, is at coronavirus.gov.hk, coronavirus.gov.hk, and that's got a section which is uh, specified conditions imposed on inbound travellers who have visited specified places, and it has the categories of specified places, um, the uh, high risk and very high risk and medium to high risk, uh, and uh, with uh, different countries uh, listed. So that's the latest up-to-date uh, information there. And Paul finally says, vaccines seem to be a sacred cow, which has become the unquestioned government answer to the government measures that have restricted our lives due to this outbreak, of which we have a 99.7% chance of survival. My question to your professionals is, are the public allowed to hold a position of scepticism regarding vaccines, or do we just shut up? That is from Paul in Taipo. Uh, Dr Choi, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Gabriel Choi, President of the Hong Kong Medical Association. And thanks once again to Professor Benjamin Cowling, Head of the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics and School of Public Health at the University of Hong Kong. More after the news before it, the weather, hot with sunny periods, temperatures up to about 30 degrees uh, today with moderate southerly winds and the outlook persistently hot with uh, sunny periods this week. Some showers uh, tomorrow and Thursday. 26 degrees, the latest readings with the relative humidity now of 77%. Allegedly also sent her lingerie and encouraged her to recruit other young women, which she did. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. Bank Chat this Tuesday morning with Ada Wong and me, Hugh Chiverton, talking about aspects of uh, COVID. Later, we're going to be talking about the reopening of schools. This is after the uh, government has said that uh, after Easter, uh, uh, there will be uh, uh, these restrictions will be eased somewhat so that uh, as many as two thirds of pupils can go back to school and uh, we'll be hearing uh, uh, thoughts uh, on that for the moment we're talking about uh, a number of different issues about the vaccination program about the uh, changes to the quarantine arrangements and to uh, social distancing uh, we want to hear from you of course you can email backchat at rthk.hk you can comment on our facebook page backchat on rthk radio 3 just before we get back to uh, covid a couple of uh, other issues uh, derek says uh, on the oscars uh, dear Backchat, I would just like to point out that the decision by TVB not to broadcast the Oscars has nothing to do with Beijing's media's regulations instructions to Chinese press not to broadcast the ceremony, which has nothing to do with the nomination of a short documentary about the 2019 Hong Kong protests. That is from Derek. 
And uh, Andrew Kay says, here's a thought. Uh, so, sorry, the subject is Ai Weiwei. Here's a thought. Uh, why don't we just tell this guy to bugger off and take his rubbish with him uh, rather than try and get traction in Hong Kong for what he thinks is art? He's dying for his 15 minutes of fame. Time for him to go back to art school. What a load of rubbish he produces. Being Chinese and anti-CPC is not a recipe for success, even in Hong Kong. That is from uh, Andrew Kay. Matthew says, uh, back on COVID, predictable to hear Alan Zeman appearing like clockwork on Hong Kong today, whining about the impact to his own self-interest of restrictions rightly remaining in place on the high-risk, poorly controlled indoor bar environment. However, he took it to a new level this morning with multiple poorly disguised jabs at Hong Kong's infectious disease experts who would most agree uh, who most would agree are largely responsible for having kept Hong Kong people relatively safe. He even undermined them by using the so-called media expert dog whistle. Uh, It's a shame he is too patriotic to have the guts to do something useful for his industry and take an honest, solid jab at the government for not providing subsidies to bar industry workers or for their pathetic vaccine rollout programme. On today's backchat question of what can be done to energise the vaccination programme, how about bringing back BioNTech and offering other vaccines people are confident in? Last week on Backchat, the Medical Association's Dr Alvin Chan pointed out that BioNTech had not issued a public statement on the Hong Kong issue and that all the packaging samples had been disappeared. If true, this would be highly irregular, so explaining this would help ease concerns that the decision to suspend BioNTech was politically motivated. That is from Matthew. We're joined uh, now by Dr. Aries Lungkwok Ling, who's the Chief Operating Officer of the uh, Town Health Group. Uh, Dr. Lung, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. Good morning, Ida. Good morning, Hong Kong. Thank you very much indeed for, for, for joining us. So we've got some of this uh, relaxation, opening, uh, you know, uh, beaches, uh, which I'm sure will be very welcome by many swimming pools, uh, playgrounds uh, and things like this. This is, uh, I guess, uh, good news all around. Yes, I look forward to swimming myself too. Mm. Um, uh, is this appropriate, do you think, before Easter or do you think that these sort of changes would have been better done after the holiday? Uh, I think it is appropriate to do it in Easter because Hong Kong people have been bored in indoor for a very long time and with the relaxation uh, related to reduction in the case low, it's all anticipated and it will be a bit too uh, too tight if we uh, keep, keep pushing it back after Easter. But, um, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, are there any advice, uh, you know, from you uh, to Hong Kong people to, to, to keep cautious uh, in, the, you know, in the long weekend ahead? Yes, Ada. Now, uh, uh, although the, the premises can open, I think that the uh, self-protection measures, such as wearing masks, strict adhesion to hand hygiene, and not touching the face, not touching those, those important parts, uh, I mean, the, the eyes, the mouth, these are all very important, and everybody please stick to them in order to prevent a comeback of the virus. Uh, there are also changes to the quarantine requirements, of course. Steve on Facebook says, as someone that spent six weeks trying to get home and will now finally this weekend get home after going to the UK to just after two weeks visit, I find it perplexing. UK visitors are treated like they have the bubonic plague when you have COVID much more rampant in USA, Europe and look at Germany, Italy and France now going into a new lockdown, but they aren't treated the same way. How much of this is really politics at play? That is uh, from 
Steve. Uh, and uh, Mike says, uh, with random control testing of a number of successful treatments coming to the forefront, we as the general public stay fixated on a one-item solution. Vaccines are not the only solution. In fact, natural or wild virus inoculation gives us much longer and better proven immunization than the vaccines. Early treatment with monoclonal antibiotics has been proven in a number of random controlled testing with thousands of patients to stop serious complications that COVID-19 presents. Except for a few isolated areas, Brazil as one exception, COVID new cases are dropping worldwide. There has been no proven scientific reason for keeping our children out of schools. Our mandated lockdowns and mandated isolated blanket testing block by block, as we have seen in the past few months, is police state tactics at its tail chasing best. COVID will be all but over by the end of April. Only to return this fall for another wave is what I've read by a number of different renowned virologists. To continue to push vaccines to an unwilling community, whether effective or not, makes government seem desperate, which alone doesn't give us confidence. But then again, when has government of late been concerned about our confidence? Just follow orders, you patriots. That is from Mike. Um... Doug says, does the guest know why outdoor barbecue areas are still closed or not included in the government's uh, opening up plans? Uh, and Paisley says, uh, FYI, the Moderna and Pfizer-BioNTech vaccines are very effective in real-world situations at preventing vaccines, the CDC reported and quotes a story. I think that's from the uh, New York Times. Um, Leslie Ann says, Dear Backchat, why can't any damaged vials simply be disregarded and the undamaged vials be used to continue the programme? I understand from your guest last week that each batch contains around 700,000 vials and that only a few have been damaged, so plenty left to use. That's from uh, Leslie Ann. And Alango says, The government is trying hard to make people believe in science, but they don't exhibit the same belief from their side. 21 days mandatory quarantine from most of the countries, except very few, even when you are fully vaccinated. How non-science is, is it? How people will come forward to vaccinate themselves when government doesn't believe and represent the benefits of the vaccine? At least they should change the quarantine at home. On another desperate request, please start the BioNTech vaccination as soon as possible. That comes from uh, Erlango. Um, uh, Dr. Leung, what's, what's your experience? Have you been doing the, uh, the vaccination programme and, and how's it going at the moment? Uh, the vaccination programme, uh, as you already understand, with BioNTech has been stopped because of safety concerns. In fact, that was stopped by the BioNTech um, uh, company uh, after receiving the report, and they want to examine anything because they, uh, what I learned is that they are very meticulous. Now, as for the um, uh, 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 Sinovac vaccine, uh, the attendance is still low, and it's quite a pity. Um, but we, we are hoping that Hong Kong people will come forward and have themselves protected um, so that all these social distancing, all these other things can be eased down further. Okay, in um, fact, yeah, uh, it, Dr. Long, if people are vaccinated, um, should they still be quarantined if they come into Hong Kong? If they have a certificate to say that I've been vaccinated, um, you know, with two jabs already from the UK, could that be lifted? Now, the science is still uncertain. Now, we talk only science, uh, we in medicine. Now, uh, all the vaccines are shown to be able to prevent very serious disease and hospitalization. 
However, the ability to prevent subclinical infection, that means people look well, but they are actually infected and can spread the virus, is still unknown with whichever brand. And therefore, some sort of quarantine from areas, particularly in those with uh, mutated strains, uh, seems safe. So we need to, to hit a balance and to take time to find out the truth. Uh, for the time being, a restriction from, uh, of, of visitors from uh, areas known to be still heavily infected seems safe. And in fact, I have colleagues, I have medical colleagues, who, who received the, the, same, uh, the treatment the same as other fellow citizens, and it takes them more than a month to return from some areas in Europe to Hong Kong. So um, that, that is what everybody pays for the safety of the rest of the people. But then the rationale behind travel bubbles um, it will be another thing. You know, it, it uh, remains uh, to, to be seen whether, for example, you know, Singapore, Japan, you know, they still have the occasional case. But if we, if, uh, uh, you know, a bilateral uh, travel bubble uh, uh, arrangement can be made, then, you know, we can go to Japan and they can come to Hong Kong. You know, with still a few cases around. Now, let's look at a small area, you know, to be, to be more precise. Say Singapore. Both in Hong Kong and Singapore, the number of cases, uh, uh, new cases there is few, number one. And number two, the people have been vaccinated. And number three, they have had a negative virus uh, with, the, with the test. Then the chance of a traveler holding the, the virus and transporting it from one city to another is similar to what he does in his local city. And since both areas are low, lowly infected, then the risk of spreading the infection further is very low. Now, the argument would, would be more complicated when we talk about a bigger area, for example, Japan or another bigger, even bigger country, unless the baseline infection rate of the, that country visited and to and from is also very low. Then the same principle as I described would, would apply. It is a matter of probability and a matter of safety to all the people in Hong Kong. Okay, uh, some more comments uh, in um, Facebook. Uh, the, uh, sorry, this is on uh, an email. Doug says, Dear Backchat, I've suggested it would greatly help the vaccination program if the media, including Backchat, stops raising ad nauseum every often minor issue related to the safety and efficacy of the vaccines, thus sowing uncertainty in the minds of the more nervous and neurotic in the uh, community. That is, is from Doug. Dr Lung, I'm uh, just interested to hear your, your, your thoughts. You know, there is a slow uptake of the, of the vaccines uh, in, in Hong Kong. Why do you think that is? How do you account for that? Um, there are several factors. Number one is that Hong Kong people have been vigilant in the social distancing. And therefore, our infection rate is really, really very impressively low. And that is to the pride of Hong Kong citizens. Um, apart from attracting the claps from our own hands, at the same time, it reduces the, the probability or, or the, the, the wish for them to get vaccinated. This is number one. And number two, um, uh, many things, including vaccination, is very political. And my, I myself would appeal that if one wants to protect himself and the people around him, get vaccinated. Now, I don't count the brand, whether one wants a China, not China, anywhere else in the world, just get vaccinated. But this message is, seems not to be getting through enough. And number three is that 
in Hong Kong, in a rapidly developing economic city, people talk about success. And in the Chinese, we talk about birth, disease, getting old and dying. Now, all the later things are taboo topics, and people really talk about it, although we all know that it exists. So when somebody dies, it becomes a, a panic. The phobia is against the death and not against the vaccine. And when the media immediately talks about it, everybody gets scared. Not the scare, I would not blame the media, because it is genuine from the inside of everyone. Really, we talk about death, and now death comes into a place and after vaccination, and that is scary. If we have to correct it, we have to get back to the, the basics, the education about uh, uh, all these other less happy things should be a part of life, and then we, we should use science. We should stick only to statistics because numbers do not lie. People can lie, but numbers can never lie. So the government should to do more, much more, in terms of this education to alleviate the basic anxiety of the citizens. And then Hong Kong people being knowledgeable would then pick up the, infection, uh, the vaccination rate. Dr. Lung, should we then talk more about um, herd immunity? Uh, I mean, we all understand that if more and more people get vaccinated, then, you know, if it is up to 70 percent, then, you know, we have herd immunity. But, you know, this is still, you know, not discussed enough. Is it uh, an important concept? Uh, Ada, yes, that is important. Now, at the present moment, without the fifth wave, and I hope it will never come, right? Now, without a, a wave of infection, herd immunity as a protection to oneself or to the others, may not be very attractive yet to the minds of most of the people, particularly the young people. Um, uh, and, and then actually we think about it, if we want immunity in ourselves, that is the most important thing. The most important thing is not to get infected ourselves in order to protect our own self. That is the biggest incentive, if anything. Now, if we talk about more, there will be re less re uh, reduction in the social restrictions for personal freedom, which Hong Kong people hold very dear to their hearts. Now, I think we, we look more in those aspects before we return back to the herd immunity uh, propaganda. Okay, uh, an email from uh, Sailor Saki who says, now that we know the issues with the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccines were merely insignificant mechanical damages to a very small number of glass vials, stroke caps, why is the administration procrastinating now the immediate resumption? We want to achieve herd immunity in the fastest possible time, but waste time here after even, even after it's confirmed the vaccine's efficacy is unaffected. Incomprehensible. That's from uh, Sailor Saki, uh, as I say. Uh, Paul says, your guest just told us to keep wearing masks. Do we have to do that while swimming? That's from uh, Paul. No, you can take them off while you're swimming. I think I, I read somewhere. Uh, but uh, when you're not swimming, you have to keep it on. Uh, Dr. Lung, thank you very much indeed for joining us uh, there. That's uh, Aries Lung Kwok Leng, Chief Operating Officer of the uh, Town Health Group. Thank you very much indeed for that. Uh, James, uh, in an email, uh, responding to um, the earlier comment about Ai Weiwei, I think, uh, with the subject line, the Commissioner for Art and Police, says, Van Gogh, no, too much yellow. That's from uh, James, backchat.rthk.hk, is our email address. Um, finally today, uh, as mentioned, we want to talk a little about uh, the um, uh, education uh, arrangements. Um, this is after the, um, the government said that uh, following Easter, uh, up to uh, two-thirds of pupils can return to uh, schools and uh, kindergartens. 
uh, for half-day uh, schooling. Uh, Mervyn Chung joins us again, a chairman of the Hong Kong Education Policy Concern Group. Mervyn, good morning to you. Thanks Hi, for, for, for joining us. Um, so, um, yeah, so what, what do you think of this move? Is it going to... How many schools... What's the state of play at the moment? How many schools uh, already have significant numbers of pupils back at school? Now, basically... Um only one third of, of, of the student populations of of, uh, of the school could could go back to uh, to the campuses for for physical uh, classes, and uh, so at the moment uh, it's only about forty percent of uh, of the schools uh, total number of schools in Hong Kong have uh, gone have gone uh, beyond this limit because the early on the the Education Bureau has um, announced that if schools can arrange their the teachers and staff to be um, to be tested once once every fortnight, then they can uh, uh, they can have a full scale uh, physical class uh, physical class resumption. So um, I think the the two thirds of student population arrangement for in class uh, in person class resumption uh, right after the Easter holidays generally well received by schools and parents plus students as well uh, because of the uh, the obvious limitations of online mode of teaching and learning for the majority of students in, in our schools. Um, Mervyn, so, um, so basically, it's a, uh, I think it's a good arrangement. And of course, uh, at this stage, uh, Ada, we we are looking for the full-scale uh, physical physical class resumption in in, 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 in campuses uh, when. Uh, further down the road, we have a uh, you know further improvement in the inf- uh, in the infection rate of you know of the COVID situation. Right, Mervyn, um, I understand that um, you know how to interpret one third it depends on each school. I've heard that um, you know most schools, in particular secondary schools, uh, will use that quota for the senior forms, uh, understandably for form four and form five, so that they can uh, get back to classes uh, because uh, you know it is nearer form six and they have to take the DSE uh, in the coming school years. But then the lower forms, as far as I understand, and in particular for some schools, not all, um, have. Con- continued online learning uh, without the possibility of, of getting back to school. I mean, I'm talking about now, I'm talking about, you know, having one-third ceiling. So even if we have the two-third ceiling, we can't really suggest to schools to say, okay, perhaps we can rotate in a, in a nice way so that the junior forms and the senior forms can, can get back to, um, you know, in-class teaching. What, what, what do you make of that? Yes, I think that this is a great pity of the of the existing arrangement uh, because in in the case of especially the senior secondary classes, they have very uh, clear and definite syllabuses to, to catch up with uh, ahead of the of the DSG examination, and uh, similarly, um, more or less the same situation is applied to. Um, the senior uh, primary school classes because they have the uh, the examinations uh, to to be conducted so that the, the grades can be submitted to the to the EDB on time uh, in order that the secondary uh, secondary one seats uh, allocations can can be done to, uh, smoothly. So um, this is a big problem with uh, with uh, with the arrangement of in-person classes in our schools at, at this stage. And I think uh, with the uh, relaxed quota for students going back to campuses, it pays for 
primary one and secondary one students to be given uh, bigger priority in returning to their uh, physical classes because um, the school compounds are due to to these two groups of students and they they need to have some time physically to get themselves familiar with the teaching, learning, and also the personnel environment of the schools, which are basically new, new to them. Yes, and and I'm sure you have heard of the um, the mental well-being issues, uh, you know, with too much online teaching, and in particular uh, for adolescents, they need to go out, they need to have extracurricular activities, they need to play sports, uh, but all of this, um, you know, has not happened, and um, they have to sit in front of the monitor for about six hours per day. Um, you know, how how could we, um, you know, going forward? Uh, how how could we make the best, um, perhaps uh, in the next three three or few months, uh, to make sure that um, we bring more well-being to to every student, to make sure that there's human contact, teacher, you know, better teacher and student relations. Well, I think uh, this is quite an uh, important area to take care of um, when we have a uh, uh, ex gradually expanding quota of uh, students uh, being able to. Uh, go back to schools for, for their uh, in-person classes. And uh, yes, I think uh, the EDB should work with the schools closely and probably be also experts on, say, the social welfare department and, uh, and other NGOs um, to provide some kind of a counseling and, and, uh, and also to cater for, their for the needs of activities outside, outside the classroom for, for the students. Because over the past at least uh, the past one year, this is a, a grave area of um, uh, of uh, a defect in in the in arrangement for 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 uh, in arrangement for students to to go back to to, to the school premises. And so, in this uh, respect, I I think um, the EDB can consider doing a study, a survey uh, on the area students have suffered most over the long period of. A full and partial in-class, in uh, in-person class uh, uh, suspension, in order that the EDB can work out with a strategy of making some kind of compensation for for the students, um, especially when say after Easter holiday, then uh, say two to three months after that, uh, we come to the school summer holiday. So uh, during that long period. We hope to see something being done in in, in those uh, area of lecture to see if uh, students can be compensated and be given, um, I think, a more more healthy education and activities for for the months of uh, <clears throat> of uh, you know great lack in terms of their proper education. Do you think the exams, in all fairness, can go ahead? Uh, this year? Do you think that there has been a proper kind of level playing field for the children's education over the past, you know, it's going to be a year and a half? Uh, now, in terms of teaching and learning, I think um, the playing field is not uh, that level. Uh, because uh, in terms of you know, online teaching and learning, uh, we 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 can see that there, there's a lot of uh, so, socio and economic uh, uh, consideration that that is involved, and that could make the, you know such a the playing field for teaching and learning not not that level to students with an underprivileged background. 
Um, so I, I think this is a, you know, an important area to, to be addressed by, by the government because uh, once gone, if you know, this kind of uh, learning defects cannot be uh, corrected during the primary and secondary school days, students will suffer you know, in, 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 you know, in, in, in the remaining years of, of their edu- education, even though when, when they uh, eventually can go uh, proceed to the universities. Because after all, this is the kind of basic education that they must be uh, well-equipped for and from which they can get the, the, full ben- uh, the fullest possible benefits. And then for, for public examination, now, uh, last week, the, uh, the Examinations Authority has already uh, uh, conducted a, a, a media briefing on, on the various arrangements that, uh, that are supposed to be um, appropriate for, for the conduct of the DSE uh, uh, examination this year. And uh, judging from what they have, uh, uh, they, they, they have in mind and on, on a grouping, it seems that uh, very, uh, very nice arrangements have been made. But one thing... Mm-hmm. Uh, but Mervyn, point- if I can intervene, because, um, you know, the uh, arrangements are basically, you know, uh, you know, health and uh, health measures uh, that, you know, social distancing measures, that is done, you know, wonderfully. But then, um, you know, the uh, issue of uh, equity, uh, uh, you know, is is not addressed. Um, uh, as he what, said. what do you think, Ada? Do you think the exams um, well, can go I, ahead? Well, I think I think all over the world, all over the world, um, you know, people have uh, noticed, um, you know, uh, because of uh, accessibility um, to online learning. If you have it, if you don't, or if you uh, if you live in really squalid conditions, um, you know, your learning has been immensely affected. Mm. And so, um, you know, the issue of Equity is a very important issue to address uh, because it affects the holistic development of a child, you know, in particular in, in very poor uh, districts. So, so I do think that more remedial teaching and learning should happen this summer um, and, and so that we, we narrow the gap. At the moment, the gap is actually very wide. So like extend the term? Extend the term and we cut the final exam because I know that uh, most schools have uh, the, a month of June as uh, final exams. But rather than exams, can we have more teaching and learning? Can we have more fun? Can we have more extracurricular activities, you know, cautiously? Um, so that, um, you know, we, we, have, uh, we have children, you know, who, who can develop holistically and are not terribly affected by the pandemic. So that's why, Ada, I've just uh, mentioned that uh, the EDB... My um, find it useful to conduct a, a study on the uh, on the areas that students have suffered you know, over over the long period of of, uh, uh, of, 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 of the physical classes, and then uh, when we, uh, hopefully this, this study can be can be completed before the summer holiday, so that uh, some remedial measures in terms of what, what you just mentioned extended uh, terms. Uh, remedial uh, teaching and learning and, and other you know, counselling and extracurricular activities that are vital to the healthy growth of, of the students can be done to some extent during the long summer, summer break. Okay, well, Mervyn, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Mervyn Chung, Chairman of the Hong Kong Education Policy uh, Concern Group. Um, a few more comments to finish off. Steve adds on Facebook, uh, just to add, UK has the lowest COVID rate in Europe with the highest percentage of vaccinated population. Just makes no sense whatsoever. This is the quarantine arrangements in Hong Kong. There are still hundreds of stranded people waiting to come back home, uh, says Steve. Um, 
John says, the good doctor says people may lie, but numbers do not. Agreed. So why does Sinovac refuse to publish the results of their third stage trials? Where are the numbers? What are they hiding? And if they will not release the numbers, what are Hong Kong people to conclude? Uh... Paul, who asked a question about uh, swimming, wearing masks, says, uh, great, perhaps one day a professional can explain the science behind why swimming makes us immune to the virus. That or masks are useless, of course. Says Paul, uh, uh, M says, it's great to hear your guest talking about uh, statistics and the need to use them when making decisions. Can he share the statistics around the risk profile of visitors from each country and how the health authorities have used these to make the quarantine uh, travel guidelines uh, decisions? That's uh, from uh, M. Thank you very much indeed to uh, everybody, uh, to uh, the uh, many questions uh, and uh, comments and to our guests and to uh, Ada. Many thanks to you and to producer uh, Michelle Chan. The weather is going to be hot today with some sunny periods and temperatures up to about 30 degrees. The outlook persistently hot with sunny periods this week and there'll be isolated showers tomorrow and on Thursday. 26 degrees at the moment. The relative humidity is at 77%. To help businesses in need of cash, the special 100% guarantee product under the SME Financing Guarantee Scheme has been extended till year end. With the loan ceiling raised to 18 months of wages and rents, up to $6 million with 18 months of principal moratorium, 80 and 90% guarantees are provided for larger loans. For details, contact lenders of the scheme or visit hkmc.com.hk slash sfgs. 9.34, the news with Samantha Butler. The chairman of the Langkwai Fong Group, Alan Zeman, says he expected bars might be allowed to partially reopen in time for the Easter break and estimates around 35% of them have gone out of business during the pandemic. Yesterday, the government announced that beaches, swimming pools and playgrounds could start reopening from Thursday and venues such as cinemas and theme parks could increase their capacity to 75%. The first day of the trial of the former policeman accused of killing George Floyd has ended in the city of Minneapolis after both sides set out their opening arguments. Derek Chauvin denies charges of manslaughter and murder. One prosecutor said Mr Chauvin squeezed the very life out of Mr Floyd. But a defence lawyer argued that Mr Floyd's poor health and drug use contributed to his death. And vessels are once again sailing through the Suez Canal after a huge container ship which blocked the waterway for nearly a week was refloated and moved. The Canal Authority chairman said he hoped a backlog of about 400 vessels could be cleared within days. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Morning. Hi. Good morning. And good morning to you too.